this week, Gwyneth Paltrow has found herself in court in what they're calling the ski trial of the century, with over 30 million people watching it across YouTube and social media. And this comes on the heels of the Almond Mum backlash after she was deemed to be promoting eating disorders under the guise of wellness. For over a decade now, Gwyneth Paltrow has been the spokeswoman for wellness at the helm of her $250 million empire, Goop. However, she regularly finds herself under accusations of monetizing pseudoscience, misinformation and quackery. In today's show, we'll be asking, what is wellness? Why is it everywhere? How do we differentiate between wellness and quackery? And where does Goop sit on this spectrum? Okay, let's jump straight to the comments. So Lisa, I'm pretty sure everyone knows this already, but let's kick it off with who is Gwyneth Paltrow and what is Goop? Yes, Gwyneth Paltrow. She's an Oscar-winning actress. For many of us growing up in the 90s, she was a bit of an it girl. You know, she's the quintessential Hollywood ideal of beauty. She's blonde, wealthy, thin, and she also dated Brad Pitt at one point. And uh, well, over the years, she's transformed herself, um, you know, from a Hollywood A-lister to the founder, CEO, and face of her lifestyle brand, Goop. Right now, you know, she's been in the news for being an almond mum, they're calling it. And then also, um, as we mentioned, the ski trial of the century. And, and sort of when you go online and you read articles about her and comments, she seems to occupy this strange space in the psyche. You know, one week, Star Magazine labelled her the most hated person in the world. And then People Magazine called her the most beautiful person in the world. So it seems to me that people seem to love and hate her. But recently, the hate has reached fever pitch. It really has. And um, there's a lot of hate in the comments online. Um, for example pleased with this clueless, out-of-touch, deeply factless person suffering from too-rich, too-privileged syndrome. And another one that said, I don't feel sorry for her as her Goop brand is monetizing this as a healthy way to live your life. She's like the wellness Jim Jones for a certain subset of wealthy American women. But a lot of the commentators have been really attacking her on her appearance. And there was a sort of male online comment that said, oh my god, Gwyneth without the filters in court looks unhealthy and gaunt and clearly older than her age. Anyone taking beauty tips from her is nuts. And I just wanted to talk to you starting with, like we have done a lot on this uh, podcast, why are we attacking a woman for how she looks? It's so interesting, isn't it? Because that's the first go-to, age, weight or appearance. I think that's just what people think is going to hurt the most when they go for a woman. But on top of that, I suppose there's an element that because she runs a lifestyle brand, uh, she runs a beauty and wellness brand, she's supposed to be promoting beauty. And so I guess that's another reason why they go, we're going to go straight for that. But there's there's sort of hypocrisy there because they accuse her of making other women feel not good enough. And then they go, well, I'm going to go straight for your appearance. So yes. uh, it does seem to be the go-to. Yes. I mean, what Gwyneth originally started with was just a newsletter. I mean, I remember I used to get it, I think back in 2008, and it was just quite simple. It was like my favorite mascara. Here's me making a banana nut muffin, gluten-free. Mm. And I think it was just like quite sort of homely in a way, but like, yes, it's still an A-list of writing it, but it was not what it's become now. And and she said originally that she started it for, you know, she was starting something um, and doing it from a very, very real, honest place, which is literally her creating lists from when she'd been filming and where to get the best ice cream in Italy, where to get the best bikini wax in Paris, which we all need to know. <laughs> So it started from there. And then I think once she reached 150,000 subscribers, she says, someone advised her and said, look, you need to be thinking about making money out of this and monetizing it. And that's when she started right building her website. And I think what really is the heart of Goop 
And I think um, what the secret to her success is, is that she's created a lot of content or editorial around wellness and lifestyle and mixed in very much with a lot of product selling and a lot of upselling. So you're kind of reading the content and then it's like a link here. Let's go off and look at this product and look at that product. And so it's, you know, I mean, it's everywhere e-commerce, but she really has mastered it. What's interesting when you go and look on their about us section and their sort of how they started, you know, they outline about the newsletter and how they got to where they are. But they've got like a mission statement that says, we operate from a place of curiosity and non-judgment. And we start hard conversations, crack open taboos and look for connection and resonance everywhere we can find it. We don't mind being the tip of the spear. In short, we go first so you don't have to. That just reminds me of Madonna's Instagram post after the Grammys. Yes, exactly. I'm I'm the trailblazer and I'll take all the heat to blaze the way so that you it'll be easier for you after me. And that's such an interesting approach to take because it feels very ego driven, um, sort of, uh, oh, I'm so further ahead. That's why you don't understand me. And also, I'm really doing you a favor. I'm doing this not just for me, but for you. And sometimes that can be true. But it's also a great defense against taking any accountability. Mm-hmm. The reason you don't like me is you you haven't caught up with me yet. Yeah. And I'm actually doing this for you. <laughs> well, if you really look at the website and look at what they're selling, it's a quite a wide range of products ranging from sort of the superpower nutritional powders. And there's fashion jewelry. There's a psychic vampire repellent spray, a rainbow yoga mat for nearly $2,000. What? Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> that better be made of rainbows. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and then a winter recovery skin kit for six hundred dollars. And look, she doesn't hide the fact that she mm. says, you know, she knows her audience, Gwyneth. She is going for that aspirational, high price point. She said it isn't for everybody. But in the nutshell, the New York Times described Goop's success being that people are fascinated with her rarefied lifestyle. A business analyst said it's because Goop is setting the trends and not following them. Goop entered the clean beauty market early. There was a big white space for luxury clean skincare for women. Gwyneth said, I'd really love a great moisturizer that doesn't have antifreeze in it. And I think that she does really own that kind of like, I remember, I know Jessica Alba's done Honest as well about clean products, but she does really own that feeling of like, oh, that's toxic. Well, that's toxic both internally and externally. Mm. So yes, her success has been paved with a lot of online backlash and accusations of quackery and charlatanism. You know, there are many practices that are accepted now that historically were considered quackery. So there is a history of that. And I do agree with encouraging women to challenge social norms and to break shame and taboos. I'm a big fan of Brené Brown. And as she says, shame derives its power from being unspeakable. So encouraging us to speak about things, I believe, is only a positive. However, I mean, my main question is, what does it cost so much then? And also, is she essentially shaming those who can't afford to aspire to her type of luxury wellness? And that's the issue. Is she, is she creating a new form of shame in her approach? Well, I think Gwyneth started this whole trend. I mean, a lot of celebrities are now starting their own lifestyle and wellness brands. For example, Kate Hudson, Jessica Alba, Drew Barrymore, Reese Witherspoon. They've all got successful brands. And it makes me wonder if Part of this trend is related to women and ageing. You know, as we touched on our Madonna and ageing episode, many Hollywood actresses struggle to find roles as they get older. And I think maybe this is a way of future-proofing themselves and taking back control in a way. Yeah, like like she almost preempted what might have been a decline, which we can't know for sure. But it's so interesting because I, I think back to the golden era when 
starlets had this sort of set amount of time. They had the set amount of time where they were going to be at the height of their their fame. And they could go to all these parties. And that's when they were supposed to try and bag a millionaire or a billionaire to set themselves up once their look started to fade and they wouldn't be able to get those roles anymore. Joan Crawford actually married the CEO of Pepsi-Cola. She inherited shares in it even after he passed. Grace Kelly, of course, became Princess Grace of Monaco. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely, this seems like a in a, in a way a more preferable approach. You're not having to sleep with anyone or marry someone you might not be that into in order to secure a lifestyle for your older age. Well, it's really interesting you say that. And in terms of celebrities having lifestyle and merchandising brands, Gwyneth was one of the first to fully claim what we call wellness. Um, In a New York Times article in 2018, she was already committing to public displays of ostentatious sort of wellness. Do you remember when she showed up at a movie premiere and she had those copy marks on her back? I actually really do remember that. And the photo sparked a lot of interest at the time. It was it was just a few things, but it was such a huge story. And the wellness industry has really taken off in recent years. For example, the global wellness industry is supposedly worth around £3.6 trillion. It's estimated that figures will be pushing £5.75 trillion by 2025. And it's all over the social media feeds. Hashtag wellness has been used on over 61 million Instagram posts, and it has 8.5 billion views on TikTok. I mean, that's just astronomical. It is. It feels like it's just everywhere and it's just the world we're living in now. Mm. I feel like for us in the 80s and 90s, it was all about fitness videos and like Mm. Cher, Jane Fonda, Cindy Crawford even came out with a fitness video. And, you know, and it was all about being on the Stairmaster while maybe reading the newspaper at the same time. And, you know, and there was the leg warmers, (laughs) the headbands, but it was really much more about the external physique. I had the Rosemary Connolly one and the Mr. Motivator who were big over here. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I remember doing it in my front room. And Mr. Motivator was always like really, really pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it was fitness or it was maybe just the face of a beauty brand that existed, you know, like Chanel or et cetera, et cetera. But in the fitness videos, they always actually had a trainer with them that they were just doing the front of. They, they never claimed that they were creating the exercises. They never claimed that they were creating the beauty products or, or the creams. They were just the face of it. And that seems to be the shift now where, where it's the source is the celebrity. We definitely didn't have the specific language of wellness back then. But I will say that for me in my teens, which would have been the, the late 90s, early noughties, I was really into Oprah and so was my mum and we used to watch her and she would have a lot of self-help gurus on. There was a lot of spirit, alternative spirituality, new age. And that was way before Gwyneth. But the, the difference is there was ne- they were never really selling a product. The only product was usually the book itself, the self-help book. You just had to buy one book and then go away and do the rest yourself. It wasn't an endless supply of products and upselling. Mm -hmm. So there is a sort of, I I would say in a way, Oprah was kind of a predecessor. She hadn't commercialized it to the same extent. Mm -hmm. But these concepts, that's what's so interesting is Goop presents them as if they're on the cutting edge. A lot of these things aren't new. I mean, you had a lot of the flower power and the alternative uh, spirituality that came out with the hippies in the 70s. Before that, even in the 20s and the 30s, you had people like Aldous Huxley trying out um, mescaline. Uh, He wrote The Doors of Perception. And even before that, indigenous cultures have been doing these for sometimes millennia. So it's so interesting how they've been twisted and marketed as if they're completely new. 
Mm-hmm. I was always aware of some of these things. My family were open to alternative stuff. I wouldn't call them hippies at all. Um, we were introduced to homeopathy uh, because my mum tried it as a sort of Hail Mary when she was going to be forced to have a hysterectomy and she had a week uh, to turn it around and she just went to a homeopath. She was like, I'll try anything. And um, she actually did get better and didn't have to have the hysterectomy. And she actually credits homeopathy with doing that. So we were always open to that kind of stuff. But why do you think wellness has taken off to such a great extent in specifically the last decade? Well, just to firstly say that I'm I'm with you. I think I said to you that I used to go down to my local alternatives sort of shop called Enigma and they sold all these mm. dream catchers and crystals and they smelt lovely of all these essential oils. And there was something super relaxing about just walking into them. And they were also a bit knickknacky, like everything was a bit cheap. Yeah. So even though I was like, 16 or 17, I could just buy a crystal and wrap it up in a little paper bag and take it home and feel like I had something special for a couple of pounds. And also I've I've dabbled in different things over the years and I really like to be open to trying different things. I even went to a face reader once who looked at my face and told me what I needed in my diet and I followed it religiously and I think it worked. But I think it was just a new way of telling me things I probably already knew, like maybe don't drink (laughs) too much coffee, you've got baggy eyes. (laughs) (laughs) But you're absolutely right. When we did the research and we looked into why wellness has really taken off in the last few years, you know, um, going back to the New York Times, who've written a lot about Goop, Mm. they wrote in an article in 2018, they explained it as, the minute the phrase, having it all lost favor among women, wellness came in to pick up the pieces. It was a way to reorientate ourselves. We were not in service to anyone else and we were worthy subjects of our own care. It wasn't about achieving. It was about putting ourselves at the top of the list that we hadn't even previously been on. Wellness was maybe a result of too much of having it all, too much pursuit, too many boxes that we've seen our exhausted mothers fall into bed without checking off. Wellness arrived because it was gravely needed. So essentially, the writer is saying that she sees it as a response to the cosmopolitan sort of superwoman articles that we grew up with um, from the 80s and 90s, and simply just about having it all. Do you remember that phase? I mean, I do remember the whole superwoman thing. I do remember the having it all. That was a huge thing that came in. And it really felt like the materialism yuppie of the 80s had combined with the resurgence of radical feminism in the 70s and had a baby. And it led to this (laughs) idea that women, they can have it all, but almost aggressively so. Almost there was that assumption that if you didn't have it all, what? why weren't you having it all? You should be trying harder. You know, there was a lot of criticism of people who maybe just wanted one thing instead of all of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are others that really believe that there's that one of the huge drivers of the rise of wellness are that there are a lot of failures in our social systems, the social pressures, the rising cost of living, the lack of mental and physical support. And for example, Dr. Pooja Lakshman, a practicing psychiatrist and author of the book, Real Self-Care, She said, the premise is that if you partake of one of these many commodified wellness activities, you will feel better. But you can't meditate your way out of a 40-hour work week without childcare. Our social systems have failed us, and the onus is being put on us to fix ourselves. And Rena Raphael, who's the author of The Gospel of Wellness, she says that modern life is becoming harder and harder. We are working longer hours, money is tighter, our medical systems aren't reliable, and this industry dangles solutions in front of us. We'll take care of your stress, loneliness, sleep, etc. People feel helpless and they're searching for meaning and magic pills to fix things. And I think that's such mm. a good point because mm. I do notice as well, 
we're used to having things um, so much quicker. We have, a, you know, Amazon Prime, it's here tomorrow. You could even get it here today if you really want. And we just don't have patience anymore. And that's understandable when we're facing a problem that's quite debilitating or depressing. But we're always looking for these like quick fixes and magic potions. And I don't yeah. think this is necessarily a new thing to humans. I mean, they had the whole snake oil, you know, actual magic potions back in the day. Yeah. But it, it, it does seem to be coming out in this specifically. I remember, you know, growing up with the, we grew up with a lot of sci-fi growing up. But this idea from Star Trek and everything that in the future, in the not too distant future, there would be science would be able to solve all our problems, be able to live forever. We would look young forever. We'd be able to heal all these things. And I think that we're a whole generation of people who grew up with that and expected that there would be some magic fix by science. And so now all these products are coming out saying, oh, we can fix you with science. We can talk about, a, you know, they'll just use sciencey terms to feed into that idea that there is this uh, magic wand. Exactly. I mean, as we've said before, there's, there's been a massive backlash to this. And, and I mean, it's been going on against her for many years now, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that I did try one of Gwyneth's cleanses in her early newsletters. I did this sort of five-day New Year cleanse, and I did feel mm. quite good on it. And I think it's just that she does kind of have quite common sense things, but packaged up. It is a bit extreme. I think I was on about 600 calories a day, but I've done juices as well by Jason Vale. So you could say, well, he, he's also advocating the same thing. Mm. But there is something about um, Gwyneth where for years I've seen that she's been doing cleanses and detoxes. And like someone said online, well, she's been detoxing for 24 years. Like when's enough enough? And I think yeah. so recently, you know, she was labeled the almond mum because she described on a podcast she was interviewed on about a day in the life of what she ate, which was, you know, very limited, I think no breakfast, a bone broth for lunch and, and a limited sort of paleo dinner. But the thing is, is that that's nothing new. I think what shocked people is that it had video on this podcast and she looked very white and gaunt. And I still think Gwyneth is a beautiful woman, but it's just that she didn't look well. And a lot of people sort of said, well, look at Nigella in comparison or some more, you know, women mm. her age. Back to our, our comparison episode that we did about women aging and sort of saying, well, look at Gwyneth, look at the state of her. And then there's also been um, the backlash around the products she sold, sort of, I won't go into too much detail, but there's the vaginal steaming, uh, when, <laughs> which was, I still can't get wrap my head around. And then there's those Yoni eggs, which she then also, I believe she had a legal um, case against her. She had to actually, mm. I think she had to pay out quite a lot of money because she doesn't have disclaimers on any of these products. They're not FDA approved. So like I said, she seems to be almost monetizing the backlash now. And she told a class at um, Harvard Business School in 2018, I can then monetize those eyeballs. But why do you think there is such a backlash against her? I mean, I think there are lots of different reasons and uh, we're going to go through a few of them. So we'll start with the biggest one that people throw at her is the accusations of pseudoscience. So specifically from the scientific and medical communities, for example, Steven Pinker, who's an experimental psychologist, cognitive scientist, linguist, and popular science writer. I mean, he's even referred to it, he's given it a whole term. He's called it Paltrovian quackery, which sounds quite nice, to be honest. I love that phrase. And this is interesting because we looked this up and he was actually on her Goop podcast the year before he wrote this. So I'm like, hmm, but he's happy to be on her podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> like the rest of them. They all want to be associated with her, you know, and get the coverage. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes just uh, just calling someone out raises your profile. But for example, mm. Rena Raphael, who's the author of The Gospel of Wellness, she also says, so much of this industry is based on belief and placebo, which isn't all bad, of course. If you believe something is making you feel better mentally or physically, that's obviously a good thing. And so much of it is highly subjective. A bubble bath can help one person escape a deep mental funk. To another, it's just a wash. What we should be wary of is putting too much faith in wellness promises. Brands will use words like boost, promotes and aids, but not fixes and cures because they can't claim to do that. No amount of deep breathing or potato lattes will help to cure the mind of entrenched negative thought patterns or deep-rooted trauma. And she's got a really good point there. And and mm. and I say this myself, you know, we've talked about um, I am open to a lot of alternative practices. But whenever people question me about those, I say I can't prove it. I'm not trying to prove it. I'm not trying to convince anyone. They make me feel better. It could be the placebo effect. And that's absolutely fine because if it is, it's still an effect, isn't it? I mean, it's been scientifically proved that the placebo effect is an effect. If it's my mind doing it rather than another pathway, as long as I have the outcome and there's no negative side effects, then I'm quite happy to take it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. That's that's sort of the approach I take. But this is where it's um, it gets a bit serious about Gwyneth Paltrow because this is a YouTube comment I found in response to a Vogue video of her talking about skincare. My husband and his brother are both skin cancer survivors. One lost an eye to melanoma. I have a friend who has not used sunscreen because of all the incorrect, very dangerous rhetoric about sunscreens being toxic. Vogue, please write a retraction to the misinformation in this video. You could be responsible for someone getting skin cancer. And then The Atlantic wow. wrote in 2019 about Goop. Wellness companies can feel predatory, even those not making Gwyneth Paltrow richer. It's largely an unregulated industry and it operates in an environment of open desperation. Many women justifiably mistrust the ways that conventional doctors address their concerns and treat their pain. But that goop's coming in to sort of fill that gap. Yeah, definitely. You can look at it from that perspective. You can also say, are the women um, sick and tired of not being heard or are they just being convinced that they're not good enough as they are and they need to be optimized which is a term they use a lot yes you can definitely achieve it if you have a two thousand dollar yoga mat um (laughs) you know it's a difficult thing really yeah there is a big difference between saying i've tried this and i like it and it does make me feel a bit better if you're interested you can try it too and when you're actively saying this will heal all your problems and we have to say um, that seems to be something that has changed over the years with Goop, mainly because of the lawsuits, where they now do have a disclaimer right at the bottom saying, whatever we've said that the benefits are, uh, this can't be used um, in place of medicine and we can't promise anything, mm-hmm. which they've got that disclaimer. But a lot of the other stuff is su- suggesting, oh, we can heal all these problems. So it's a bit of a ca- sort of caveat that feels a bit like protecting themselves from lawsuits. And it's in very small print, like when you get a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, they have got into legal trouble from this, as we've just said. The California officials, they even sued Goop, claiming that it made unfounded health claims about three products on its website. And in 2018, they agreed to pay um, $145,000 to settle a false advertising loose lawsuit, which I suppose in the scheme of what they're worth isn't actually that much money. No. 
And in 2021, Goop was hit with a class action lawsuit after at least two people reported that their this smells like my vagina candles exploded and caused fires. And on top of that, a lot of medical professionals have called Gwyneth Paltrow out, you know, and they've said that what she's selling is not just ineffective and pointless, but actually possibly dangerous. But can I just say, you know, I would grow up with very strict rules about having no candles in your bedroom. So if someone was trying to have a romantic night, would the smells like my vagina candle? <laughs> and then your house yeah. burned down. I, I am sorry for them, but that's... Yeah. Gwyneth, I mean, can she be for blaming for even candles? I think the main thing that gets quite serious about Gwyneth is, and Goop is that the, it's the lack of scientific research and evidence to back up their claims. And when I was researching to try and find reviews of all those nutritional supplements that I discussed earlier, I mean, they've got like over 60 products. Again, all very alluring, wow. like little candies and all packaged so pretty. The pharmacist.org, a leading site in the US for pharmacists, you know, they tried to sort of do a review on them and find reviews that customers have done. And they said, Goop offers no customer reviews on their website, which we find problematic. Finding reliable customer reviews for their products was a real challenge. In summary, they said the products were way overpriced and that you're paying more for the brand and star power. I don't think that's any surprises, but I actually struggled to find any reviews of their supplements. It was just, mm. there's nothing. And what's interesting is they're like around $60 a packet and then you get put on an automatic or like they try and encourage you to take it as a subscription monthly. So gosh, wow. it's so expensive, right? Yeah. And one of the YouTube comments was, every time Gwyneth Paltrow shares her beauty or wellness secrets, a scientist dies on the inside. Today, it's a dermatologist. And I think <laughs> I think one of the biggest critics of her has been Professor Tim Caulfield. He's a professor of health and law and science policy at the University of Alberta. And he wrote a book called, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? How the Famous Sell Us Elixirs of Health, Beauty and Happiness. And he discusses, you know, how the marketing is working. These companies are pushing fear often. You know, they're fear mongering. They're pushing pseudoscience that sounds compelling. I call it science exploitation. You know, they often use terminology that sounds very sciencey. They talk about microbiome. They talk about quantum physics. And the research tell us that can really work. And just to say, to be fair, a lot of brands do use that sciencey vibe. Because do you remember when Jennifer Anderson did, and here comes the science, when she did those Oh, yeah, I totally adverts. do remember that. So that's yeah. definitely a branding technique that a lot of shampoos and beauty products do to sort of give it that medical vibe you know what I mean yeah and it's quite difficult to differentiate what's true science and what's sort of pseudoscience it's almost like you need a PhD in chemistry before you can differentiate whether you sh which products you should be buying and and they've always loved buzzwords in the beauty industry you know these days it'd be hyaluronic acid or etc etc but it's the yeah. same with nutritional supplements I have a friend who actually does have a PhD in chemistry and she was saying when it comes to vitamins it's not just about what the vitamins are but whether they're bioavailable otherwise all you're doing is making very expensive pee and that's not to say that you should never use supplements but some of them basically do nothing you you need to do a lot of research to understand which which is going to work for you mm. I mean, we've talked about the accusations of pseudoscience, but I think another main cause of the backlash is this sense that she's monetizing other cultures and wellness, but at extortionate prices. So, I mean, a lot of these practices that she touches on, they're not inherently new. I mean, the use of crystals and energy healing have been around for a very long time. 
Um, for example, it's thought the first historical references to using crystals come from the ancient Sumerians, which is the fourth millennia BC. They included crystals in their magic formulas. And the crystals were and still are used for healing in traditional Chinese medicine, which dates back to at least 5,000 years. But the difference is, historically, they came across things in nature and used what they found. But Goop has stocked crystal water bottles for $80. She's got crystal eggs for $66. And as I've said before, um, full disclosure, I personally believe in a lot of alternative stuff, you know, meditation. But I'm also very happy to use Western medicine and I'm fascinated by science. So I don't think you have to choose one or the other, in my, my opinion. What I believe, based on my experiences, is if you take the true feeling and the intention away from the practices, the underlying soul of it, so to speak, they sort of become meaningless. And indigenous cultures that used a lot of these practices or these practices came from, it was a very natural practice. It wasn't a practice that only applied to the rich. And you weren't stuck on just one single product. It wasn't like if you didn't have this very special crystal, you couldn't do the meditation. My dad was a farmer and an inventor, and he loved engineering and mechanics. He mm. wasn't a hippie at all. If you'd met him, he was just this old school farmer who came from Pendle Hill, which is where the witches were in Lancashire. So I don't know if that had a, a role, <laughs> but he used to do divining. And I mean, he was even, people used to come to him and ask for help. It was just sort of like word of mouth. People knew uh, he didn't take money for it and he didn't um, advertise it. But he used to make his own divining rods out of old uh, welding rods. I don't even know how much that costs, but it, basically nothing. You know, you could use old pieces of metal. It wasn't about the accoutrements. It was about being centered yeah. and just sort of like connecting. And it also wasn't, um, he would have said anyone can do it. Um, he'd showed other people too. And I think that makes a big difference because there's this sense with these kind of high-end spiritual wellness companies that we're letting you in on a special secret, but you can only really access it if you can afford to buy all the, all the accoutrements. And the more yeah. expensive the accoutrements, the more aligned and the better effect you'll have. You know, Yes, yoga is good for you, but if you get the rainbow yoga mat that also has the crystals, it'll just take you to that next level. And then I'm sure yeah. there's something else, magic stardust, that'll take you to the next level, but that'll be twice as expensive. And the reality is, if you just do that and you're connected and you work on it and you practice it, that's how you get the effect, not buying all the 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 accessories, so to speak. Yeah, I, I just love what you said then. I think we all know that money and wealth seem to play a large role in the hate towards Gwyneth mm. and Goop. And I think that, you know, the sense of unfairness and the sense that the rich can buy health and happiness, you know, there was a great quote in the Financial Times and they said, about Goop, this kind of place is for the stupidly rich to feel a rush of novelty through a smorgasbord of snake oil tricks or through legitimate treatments presented as some kind of premium secret. And Gwyneth has said herself, it's crucial to me that we remain aspirational, not in price point, because content is always free. The things we are making, the clothing, yes, but also the creams and oils couldn't be made cheaply. Our stuff is beautiful, she said. The ingredients are beautiful. You can't get that at a lower price point. You can't make these things mass market. Well, it's interesting bringing up about the whole content is always free because there was this other comment that said, when people charge Goop with classism or elitism, Paltrow frequently reminds them that it's recommendations, product listings, and information about fringe health services such as vaginal streaming are free and always have been. 
I'm not sure how much information on vaginal steaming anyone really needs. It's pretty much what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> which is quite funny. <laughs> Has she ever had a hot bath in England? <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference between, yes, there's free information, but like you said, that there are adverts and automatic links trying no. to upsell you the whole time. But do you think, like, we've gone through all the main sort of accusations that have been leveled at her, but let's get to the psychology part. Is this just shadow and envy about Gwyneth let's be honest well you know I think it's a really interesting thing to explore and I think uh, one of the things we have to bear in mind is multiple things can be going on at once Uh, you can have legitimate complaints and also be um, have a bias against her out of envy so it, it doesn't have to be either or there was this New York Times comment that said why do women think they need to compare themselves to her and then when they come up lacking make it her fault Because someone has a fabulous life does not mean yours is lacking. She was born into amazing privilege. Of course, she has had an amazing life. We can't all be so lucky. Get over it. I personally have benefited from the philosophy she talked about with smoking. This may not work for everyone, but can't we all agree that not everyone is the same? If some people are helped by her, why can't those that aren't just leave her alone? Be happy with yourself and stop the comparison game. There will always be someone with more than you. Mm. And I think there is an element, yes, she's beautiful and rich. And I think for some people that does trigger something in them, maybe a jealousy, maybe because we are as women, it feels like we're constantly being forced to compare ourselves and consider mm. ourselves less than if we don't measure up. But one of the things that seems to come across or seem people seem to talk about is this idea that she's perceived as someone who's not just beautiful and rich, but that she would judge you too for not being beautiful. And there's a big difference. And, and not just not being beautiful, but not being perfect. There's People yeah. talk a lot about perfection in relation to her. And it's very hard to know whether it's coming from her or whether she's just been made the poster child for this. I mean, there was a quote in the, the Atlantic that said, the company's products embrace one of America's oldest health myths, that physical beauty is proof not only of a person's health, but of her essential righteousness. Mm-hmm. If the outside is perfect, the inside must be too. It's a retrograde vision of womanhood for a company that so frequently deploys the word empowerment. And mm-hmm. there is something that comes across, and like you said, it's not just the spiritual principles, but the but the packaging has to be beautiful, it has to be aspirational, it has to be perfect. Yeah, And it gives this sense, there's always a sense that people who are so obsessed with perfection They've got a sort of mean girl sense about yeah. them and that they're going to be judgmental of you if you're not perfect. And I think that's something that comes up for people when we talk about this topic. Yeah, yeah, and I, I definitely think so. And I think that this sort of haughtiness that you pick up, especially during the trial, there's a lot of content around her coming off aloof, elite, you know, haughty. You know, this is not something new. Like over the years, she's said some really... Um, things that like, I don't know how to put them, but they're just, she's been really called out for what she said in the past. So here's some really, I think, quite funny Paltrovians. I'd rather (laughs) smoke crack than eat cheese from a tin. I'd rather die than let my kids eat a cup of soup. It's much harder for me, I think, to have a regular job and be a mum. It's not as if, of course, there are challenges, but it's not like being on sat. Wow. And I want to say as well as an aside, the problem with quotes of celebrities is you don't know how accurate they are. 
and how much they've been taken out of context. But if we, for example, assume that she has said these things in the way that they sound like they've been said, there is a sense that there's a sort of lack of compassion for people who have different lifestyles, that there's there's a correct way of doing things. For example, um, you know, it's not just that I choose not to eat cheese and it's not and I find it isn't good for me, but that cheese is bad and people who eat cheese are bad and don't care about themselves and are somehow less than they're making a bad choice. You know, that's the sense that people are getting from some of these things. And that comes across in the online comments. There's a sort of recurring theme that she's cold, she's haughty, like you said. I mean, it came out during the skiing trial. There was a Daily Mail comment that said, I don't envy her or aspire to be her in the slightest. She looks devoid of joy. A stuck up so-and-so seems an accurate description. Mm. Another one said, um, watching this ski collision trial and intensely hateful further, Gwyneth Paltrow has instructed her attorney to unleash on the elderly defendant is nothing short of appalling. She's the epitome of an ungracious witch obsessed with her own wealth as she peddles phony products like a modern day snake oil salesman at ludicrous prices. If only that $30 psychic vampire repellent mist she sells through Goop really worked, I would recommend it to anyone in her vicinity. Ouch. But the difficulty is, is is this real? (laughs) Is it real or is it projected? I mean, does she just remind us of the kind of beautiful, thin, privileged, popular girls that we all knew at school? Oh, yeah. And we experienced judgment and bullying from. Has she now become an archetype rather than an individual? Especially after she won an Oscar at 26 and, you know, she's, she's blonde. She's that sort of Hitchcock blonde. I do think none of us came away from school unscathed by the hierarchy and the pecking order. Mm. And if someone reminds you of those kind of girls that you really felt would judge you, we're already going to have our back up a bit. But that's not to say that they're not necessarily picking picking up on something that isn't there. It's quite difficult to know the difference sometimes or, you know, and she even talked to herself. I remember seeing her on Graham Norton and she shared this story where she'd won an Oscar. And as she said, a lot of obstacles have been taken out of my way. Mm-hmm. And um, she said a dad who was a director took her aside at that time and said, you know, you're kind of becoming an asshole. And so I always felt like that story that she shared, there was a sort of sense of self-awareness and reflection. The fact that she could laugh about that and share mm-hmm. the story. and. Along a sort of similar lines, there was a comment on Mum's Net that said, I think she looks incredible, although not in that particular podcast. And her cookbooks are actually really good. At least she's honest about what she does in terms of injectables and lasers, etc. And the work she puts into maintaining her body. I also don't think she takes herself that seriously. But one of the areas we've never gone into before is actually looking behind the gloss of the brand. What's it like to really work there and to hear from the people directly themselves who work for Gwyneth? And in Goop, so I went on to Glassdoor.com, which is like this sort of big um, site where you can leave um, reviews if you work somewhere. And some of the quotes are, this is a mean, exclusive, mean girls vibe. They may be fooling customers, readers and listeners, but they're not fooling many employees. This is a toxic, cruel, controlling, fake place to work. And then another comment for a company that preaches holistic wellness and transparency. I've never felt more diminished or gaslighted by a company in my entire career ever. Trust me, this insidious toxicity and secrecy at Goop is not worth experiencing just to be associated with Gwyneth Paltrow and the brand name. Your physical and mental health are infinitely more valuable than these factors. And then someone said and just said, this is basically a cult with a gift shop. (laughs) 
oh yeah I wish all my cults had gift shops <laughs> that's my favorite part of a museum I'm like yeah we can't miss the gift shop but, but like I said it's sort of like quite interesting to look under the under the hood so yeah. to say like are they practicing what they preach absolutely yeah and I think that's a really big thing because that's where integrity and authenticity comes from which is I think the most important thing when you're talking about spirituality and and wellness those are the factors that matter the most the thing is though say these things are true, does it really then justify the level of intensity of vitriol that is actually thrown at mm. her? Even if she's a bit mean herself or it's a toxic workplace or she's misguided or whatever, does that really give us the right to be quite so vitriolic to her? And I'm not talking about not calling her out or saying, I think what you're selling isn't good or I think what you're selling is dangerous. I think it's overpriced. But the level of personal attack that seems to come, you know, the fact that she's mm -hmm multiple times come up on Google search of, of uh, is, is Gwyneth Paltrow the most hated person in the world? I mean, that's, a, mm. that's quite mm. hardcore. She hasn't actually technically killed anyone. But so, for example, there was a comment that said, it's interesting to see the special level of vitriol piled on a woman. Did anyone think Air Jordans really made you a better basketball player? Maybe capable of flying into the NBA in monstrously huge compensation packages? Because that's what Michael Jordan and Nike suggested, and folks paid obscene amounts of money for them. The snake oil promise of celebrity-like perfection comes from many sources, and yet with all these choices, we use a women-led brand as the piñata. Mm. And there was another defense. Goop did a Netflix series, and Jennifer Block and Elisa Albert wrote an entire article titled, Who's Afraid of Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop? The Long History of Hating on Woo. And in that they said... Throughout history, women in particular have been mocked, reviled and murdered for maintaining knowledge and practices that frightened, confused and confounded the authorities, namely the church and later medicine. Criticism of Goop is founded, at least in part, upon deeply ingrained reserves of fear, loathing and ignorance about things we cannot see, touch, authenticate, prove, own or quantify. It is emblematic of a cultural insistence that we quash intuitive measures and other ways of knowing, the sort handed down via oral tradition, which for most women throughout history was the only way of knowing. In other words, it's classic patriarchal devaluation. And I do agree in part with this. I mean, I'm a very big fan of, I do think intuition is important, but it's not quite so simple. And I do think that one of the areas that Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop have shone their light is sexuality. And that is also a good thing because as we said before, shame isn't a good thing. It does seem to be aimed particularly towards women. They are shamed much more. And it's not a healthy thing for us living in this society. And I do think there could be a reaction to this element that's playing out at times. It can be many things happening at once. There could be legitimate complaints and bias happening at the same time. So this is not a full defense of that. As she says herself, if people who know me and love me have a criticism, then I really want to hear it. But if not, it's just a projection like I'm a screen and it's not about me, so I don't absorb it. Mm. And it also seems like she might be deliberately provoking in order to get some of these responses. So there was another quote where she said, you have to push, you have to go too far. You have to have a WAP song or a smells like my vagina candle. So people are like, what is this? And they freak out. And then the center moves a little bit more this way. It's a process that happens over time. And that suggests that there's a level of self-awareness going on and that maybe the shock element is there for a bigger purpose. So I do find that quite interesting. I mean, do you think she is an inspiring female leader? Not really, to be honest. Initially, I liked her newsletter when it started out. You know, It felt quite low-key and affordable. And, and genuinely, I felt it had good intentions around wellness. 
but where it is now, it's so super commercial. So there's two things really I don't really gel with. It's one, it's the perfectionism. You're never done. You always have to optimize yourself. And number two, it's the super consumerism. You know, I think in the world we're living in now, we could really do with cutting back on the amount of stuff we have. And I know I'm not her target market, but I do push back on the amount she's selling and like, when's enough enough? And, you know, there's also this thing, you know, going back to perfectionism that I think of the whole girl boss trend, which I never really clicked with. You know, it was <laughs> it feels like it was so much more about how you looked. You know, you're walking along in Paris with your laptop and your latte, you know, and killing it. There's something quite infantilizing. No one would say boy boss, would they? That would seem demeaning and infantilizing. It, it seems strange to be calling fully grown women girls, girl boss. And yes, I'm all for female empowerment and business and making it in the world, but it feels so tied to aesthetics. And like, as someone on Urban Dictionary says, girl boss means to make something or someone appear as a feminist idol or inspiration for profit. Another comment also said on YouTube, the only women in real life I've heard seriously describe themselves as a girl boss are girls I went to high school with who recently joined a pyramid scheme. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and then this quote about Fallon Carrington from Dynasty, you know, going back to the 80s. She's another perfect example of a white, attractive, wealthy woman who puts on the girl boss facade while damaging and antagonizing other women in her life. And that makes me think of like, you know, like Gwyneth is constantly optimizing. Like I said, you're never finished. And it sort of, I feel the girl boss trend morphed into the that girl phenomenon, which I looked up. It was all on TikTok a couple of years ago or maybe a year ago. And it sort of made me think of Gwyneth. You know, she wakes up at 7 a.m., cooks and eats a plant-based breakfast, journals her thoughts in a neatly sectioned day planner, chants affirmations, works out in a cute coordinated outfit, gulps down green juices, is productive, professionally successful, and somehow still finds time for skincare, meditation, and taking Pinterest perfect photos of all the above. Actually, I think that a lot of people online have mixed reactions to this. That girl is the attainable adult Barbie. It's interesting to see how that has manifested. And then someone else said, that girl perception is different for different people. It also motivates one to work towards the best version of themselves. And then there's this quote, lastly, that girl is still about aesthetics and how other people see you, which isn't true self-care. Self-care isn't about telling everyone how great you are and making sure they see you as perfect through external success. So I don't blame Gwyneth for all of this. There are others. But I think the sort of predominant preoccupation with how you look over business, I mean, I get that this might be her market, beauty. It still bothers me a little bit. But I do respect that on some level, you know, she is handling all this hate. I mean, like she says, she's turning it into business. But I think on some level, it, it does feel very American as well, that you're never really, like I said, you're always being productive. You're always hustling. And it's quite exhausting. And like a lot of people mentioned online that they felt burnt out from it and they actually had a backlash. There's actually this trend now of girl failure and being a bit of a hot mess. Yeah. But I think the Brits have always been a bit more on that trend. You know, it, I do feel that there is a difference between America and England because we, we've always loved a bit of an underdog or a bit of an anti-hero, particularly a lot of my comedy favorites like Miranda and stuff. And Bridget Jones's diary, we just embrace the whole, yeah, let's be a bit rubbish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's okay. And it's quite funny and quite endearing and it's human. And then you always had that perfect girl, didn't you? Yeah. And she was always, we never, you know, it's like we never really liked, we weren't supposed to like her in that show. 
I do get that um, it can also be, yeah, really unhealthy. I think more as a teen, I really aspired to that sort of vogue perfection and was trying to become something that it wasn't possible for me to become. But because I was so far away from that potential perfection, there was a point at which you have to give up trying. I was never going to look like her. That wasn't possible. And at a certain point, you start embracing what you are and embrace all the mistakes and the imperfections because they make you who you are. And you just go, well, if I can achieve this, that's great. I don't need to achieve everything. It's so dangerous trying to achieve everything. I think one of the reasons Gwyneth does really well and someone said gives her legitimacy and so much, and she's so potent for a lot of us, you know, for a lot of wealthy women in America is that she's got that Californian cool mixed in with that sort of East Coast privilege. Um, you know, she's very aspirational. She's got that sort of weird DNA mix. Mm. She's not just the woo. So we've gone through quite a lot of comments and we've looked at all the accusations <laughs> leveled at Gwyneth. What are your final thoughts, Sarah? So one of Gwyneth Paltrow's breakout roles was actually playing Jane Austen's Emma, which is a character described as beautiful, wealthy and smart, while also spoiled, meddlesome and self-deluded. And similar to Emma, Gwyneth Paltrow was born into a life of privilege. She's tall, blonde, thin, beautiful and rich. I mean, she's quintessentially the queen bee archetype. She's even previously been described as glowing like a radioactive swan. (laughs) This, I think, can make her the target for a lot of envy and projection. And she very much reminds us of the popular girl at school, the one who was more beautiful than we could ever hope to be, who appeared to float through life effortlessly and unfairly advantaged by her privilege and who judged and dismissed those with less privilege. What's really difficult is differentiating where the anger is based on her individual behavior and where it's anger towards a perceived type and a defense against the judgment we believe they will feel towards ourselves, who are just the mere mortals. When it comes to goop, I mean, it's very difficult to tease out the parts that are wellness and when it becomes quackery. As I've said, I myself do subscribe to some alternative health practices and I incorporate what might be called alternative spirituality into my life. So I can't just dismiss it all as complete hogwash, as some scientists do. But that said, what she seems to have done is taken out the soul from these practices and turned it into a commercialized money-making machine, which is, in my belief, the opposite of what these practices are about. The idea that we're not enough, we're not well enough, we're not happy enough, unless we are constantly optimizing ourselves, is a really dangerous one. And she doesn't just promote possible practices for support. But she seems to suggest that if you do anything else, like eat gluten, then you are bad and you will become ill. For me, this is where it becomes problematic. In today's internet-driven world, there is so much potential misinformation at our fingers. It's sometimes really hard to tell what's just challenging the orthodoxy and dismissed as dangerous and what is genuinely incorrect. And that's where choice comes in. We each have to choose what we believe is not just right, but right for ourselves. And also ask ourselves, are we just looking for a quick fix or a magic potion for a much bigger underlying issue like not feeling good enough? Unfortunately, there is no easy answer to that. Mm. I think you've encapsulated a lot of the ideas of what we've seen in the comments. So my final quote is, and I found this on a business site, there is something very sad in the notion that just because you can afford to pay for supremely expensive holidays, you will live longer A worn pair of sneakers, fresh country air and a walk with a friend will do just the trick. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you to our lovely producer, Emily. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. It really does help us in reaching more people. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Straight to the Comments Podcast. Our handle is S2TC Podcast. And join us next week where we'll be diving headfirst straight to the comments. See you there. This podcast has been produced by Emily Crosby Media.